how do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is Ryan Staley, your host, and I have a very special guest with me on today. I have Eric Frankel. Eric is the former president of TV distribution at Warner Brothers and now the founder and CEO of AdGreets. Eric, welcome, man. Happy to have you on the show. Ryan, thank you for inviting me. I didn't know this was going to be, uh, it sounds like we're on a sports interview show here. I yeah. love the tone. I love it. We don't mess around here on the scale-up show. We, 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 we bring the thunder. You know, we've had some of the most powerful and influential people in the world on this. So happy to add you to the mix, Eric. Um, I'm happy, happy to be here. Yeah, so it was it was a pleasure getting to catch up with you a little bit before we jump on. That's one of my favorite parts about being a host is getting to meet founders and CEOs of amazing companies. So, you know, before we get into things, I, I have a couple of quick questions for you just about your business. So people have a, a high level perspective about AgReads. So where are you at in terms of your revenue stage right now? We're going to do about five million in revenue up significantly from prior years, but obviously not a number that excites me too much because I used to, as we'll probably get into, run a business that did about a billion and a half um, a year. Yeah, well, that's a billion and a half is a big number, but yeah. five million is a great start as a founder. That's one of the hardest things to go from zero to, to five million. So congrats on there. What's your go-to-market strategy? Sales, um, marketing, um, product, what's, what's kind of your, your, your go to market? Well, I mean, what we've pretty much done is we believe that we've reinvented the way brands and the agencies who work for brands or represent brands and add platforms, um, how they communicate with past current or prospective customers. So rather than a generic commercial, say from Macy's, that tells everyone in the United States about their super Saturday sale where we can save 40% on items like these. And then they show the two of us and my wife, for example, a dress, high heels and women's jewelry. I would say for you and me, Ryan, that's a pretty awful, irrelevant, silly ad. For my wife, it's not bad. So what we do is we make 100, 1,000, 100,000, 500,000, or a million of those messages. And we're going to talk to you about your zippy fleece shirt and me about my T-shirt or blue jeans or Nikes or when I was at my other company about suits and ties. And we're going to remind you where your store is. And we're going to do messaging that's relevant and in turn, rather than looking for that skip ad button or delete, you're going to pay attention because you like the shirt that you're wearing and things like that. It's relevant, right? It it's like all about relevance. And then it's and then what we've done is we've built the capability to do it on more or less every marketing channel that exists because every brand is different. And some people care about email and some care about Facebook and some care about Google and some care about TikTok and Twitter and Snapchat. And and then the big breakthrough is we're now doing it on television as of the beginning of this month. Love so that. Love that. <clears throat> so hyper-personalization at scale. Hyper and then how big is your team? Uh, today, we're about uh, 25, 28 people around the world. We've built lots of automation. So we do 
what should probably take a hundred people. You know, a we work harder, but but and, and longer. But b we've developed lots of automation so that we do things in minutes or hours that you know can take weeks or longer to wow. get done. Okay, we, we're going to circle back to that. I, I, that's a writer downer. So I wrote that down. We're going to circle back to that one. Okay. Um, and then like last thing to just so everybody has a, a set on kind of where you're at, where, what's your vision for like the next three years for AdGreets and like, where do you see the business going? Well, I've done things in my career that no one embraced or understood for a long period of time. So we've gone from the, what the heck are you talking about stage? <laughs> Why is it not a good idea to talk to Ryan about dresses? Um, to now most people going, that makes sense. If we talk to Ryan about things that are relevant and if most of the emails he gets don't look like a letter from 1964 or a print ad from 1986, but when Ryan signs up on a site and says, hey, Ryan, on behalf of Macy's, we want to thank you for signing up or whatever that brand might be. Um, so really, it's just to continue to scale up, scale up, scale up. Many, many, many more clients, more recurring revenue, of course, as you know, and we were talking before we began, um, and then continue to add more and more products to differentiate us and make us more robust than the competition. And then really to try to own the world of streaming and live television. So if we were watching a basketball game tonight and we'll just continue to use Macy's, um, you would see products that are compelling to you. It's colder in Chicago than it is in Los Angeles. So it might not make sense to talk about winter coats and it might tell me to go to the Macy's at Century City and you to go to the mall that's closest um, to you. So more products, uh, higher adoption, more recurring revenue. And, and in addition to the email and Facebook and Google and all of that, seeing what we could do to turn the whole TV business from a single generic traditional old school ad into smart data-driven hyper-personalized. Um, I love more. that. So yeah. do you have a revenue target for three years that you're trying to hit? Oh yeah, we have it. We have it. I, you don't have I, to share it if you don't want to. I'll just figure no, it out. I mean, we're hoping to triple our revenue, you know, uh, next year from the five-ish to I think seventeen-ish nice. to off the top of my head. Um, off the top of my head, I think it's you know maybe forty-nine. Um, you know, uh, two years out, it's it's getting embraced by quite a quite a large number of people now. You know, we were we were suffering, so you know, this is something that I've done a lot of the financing for it, and thank God. And and thanks for my to my wife who who's happier now. I haven't you know I haven't written a check to this thing for the last six plus months. So I think we've turned the corner and we're on track. Awesome, man! Happy to happy to see that. And you know, I I think it's it's always great. Like I like to start off and, and getting a perspective. So this is this is where you're at now. And you, you obviously got big things. And I love 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 the concept of basically applying what was what someone called digital marketing to now the streaming service so that you get that customization just like you would if you were on Instagram or something like that, right? So it's like the same concept. Am I understanding you correctly? Where it's like, so if yeah. I'm on Hulu and Ryan's, yep. you know, a male 40 plus likes football, 
There could be like bears it. targeted ads at me. You got it. So it's not only football, but it's potentially bears. Right. And and don't miss the big game on Sunday at 2 p.m. Or, okay. or whatever. But That's even so on cool. the Instagram and Facebooks, there's probably only about 5% of ads. What you've seen more of is targeting. So mm-hmm. what, what advertisers and agencies liked, unlike broadcast television, was they could say, ooh, we won't have that, you know, we'll, we'll cut out people who are under 14 and people who are over 65, but they were still typically making one creative. Now you have the ability to talk to, I think there are 32 teams, mm-hmm. you know, you could talk to, um, you could talk to people about their favorite team, their favorite soda, their favorite beer, their favorite wine, about their car, um, you know, we like to say, I had a very smart guy who was very senior at a giant uh, ad agency uh, holding company. And he's like, I want to know what the performance is all about on the Mercedes. He wants to know how fast, you know, he's a real numbers guy, you know, how big the engine is and all that stuff. His wife wants to know why it's comfortable. And his daughter wants to know why it's safe for, um, for her two kids in the back seat. So yep. that's, you know, so with that in mind, you sit there and go, hey, this is probably what people these age. And then why not tell them where their local dealership is and make it easy? And if you can, why not make it a clickable ad so they can literally go bump and say, I'd like to be there at two o'clock on Saturday, if it wasn't Christmas, maybe, and test drive, you know, this particular model. That's fantastic. Okay. So love love the direction of your company. Love what you're doing. It's such a big need for it. And it's no wonder why you have such massive growth projections. So how did you get to where you're at today, though? You're, you're a president of at Warner Brothers, which is, I can imagine, a hard ladder to climb. And then you went into the, the startup world. So can you just walk us through how you got to this point? Sure. So, I mean, the short version is like, you know, like many or most people, you know, went to college, thought I would be a movie maker, a television show guy, uh, a network executive, you know, during the CBS, NBC, ABC, you know, kind of heyday. And I remember showing up at my first, you know, you know, what they called COM 101 class and Mm -hmm. seeing 500 kids or whatever was in that class and saying, every one of these kids want to have that exact same job. So I decided that I was going to go and intern and do all of these different jobs. So four years from now, when we all graduated, I would, in theory, be able to say I did A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and I'd be the kid who would get the better job. And that's more or less what I did. And, um, and when I, and when I graduated and went out and got and got interviews, you know, shockingly enough, instead of saying I was a good student, I was able to say I was a good student and here are all these jobs I had and all of these interesting things I did and with clippings and lots of success stories, primarily right. running, running more concerts than any kid at any college in the country. So I ran 37 concerts over the course of the school year in nine different facilities with many, many artists that you're familiar with and became a major source of entertainment in upstate Syracuse, New York. So people were impressed by that. And we had television commercials and radio campaigns and, you know, and playbills that you got at the shows and so on. And so I got offered a bunch of jobs and I got one with this company called Warner Brothers who said, hey, we're getting into a new business. It's called cable. 
and it's called Pay, and there's this new thing coming along called Betamax, which of course became home video. And I, I took a shot at that one uh, versus working for a concert promoter versus working for NBC. And next thing I knew, 20 years later, the chairman of the company called me up and said, I bet your boss, who had been my boss for 20 years, didn't tell you he's retiring. I knew he was about to turn 70. He said, well, he is. So you're going to become president, get ready to move from New York to LA. And then I did that for about another decade. And then one day I realized the company wasn't the same company I'd been at. Everyone I knew had gone. Right. It was run a little bit more by what I call, and I'm not trying to insult anyone, the lawyers and the accountants versus the entrepreneurs. Right. Yep. Um, and, um, and I woke up one day and I said, you know, I have no relationship before I was a t-shirt wearing guy, in those days it was suits and ties and all of that. And I said, I have no relationship almost with any brand. Yes, I like to buy this brand of suit or this brand of shirt or this kind of tie or these kind of shoes or this car, but not because the brand welcomes me, thanks me, keeps me updated on their new products, um, just because I found this shirt and they make a better shirt than other people or whatever it might be. And I said, there's to, and, and brands just treated me the same way they treated a 12-year-old girl or a 92-year-old grandmother. And very often they spoke to me about things that I had zero interest in, even though their store had lots of things that I was interested in. So when I'm dropping off my son at college, Walmart's telling me that diapers are half price, an irrelevant message. So I said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I said, oh boy, can I make a lot of money really quickly? This is going to be easy. And here it is 11 years later, you know, just breaking even, no longer investment spending. And it's been one of the hardest things, you know, that I've ever done. But, uh, but the team, when I say I, it's not me. It's, right. it's all of my colleagues in concert, um, you know, making this thing happen. And we're, every day we're a little bit more optimistic that it will work. That's, I mean... Congrats to you for, for persevering through that. Cause I came from the, the big corporate machine as well. And so like, yeah. it's different. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And like, I've never thought once like, oh, I want to go back and work for someone else. However, like there's some tough times, man, like going through this. I mean, so like 11 years, that's, that's awesome grit. So what did you have to believe? whether it be in yourself or your solution or your cause to get 11 years and then finally break even. Well, maybe I'm just dumb. So first off, maybe it was, <laughs> maybe I, just I doubt that, but go ahead. No, but you know, first of all, so I don't think I could have done it if I hadn't been lucky enough to have a good career where I was able to build a good nest egg. So in addition to, you know, millions of dollars I raised from outside investors, and, you know, they're not professional investors. They're, you know, fun friends and family investors. So at a certain point in time, they're like, hey, I've put an X amount. I don't really invest more than that. You know, by the way, I don't mind if I lose all my money because I happen to be very wealthy, they would say. Um, so do what you want to do, Eric. So then I would fund it. So um, I just believed that it made no sense to push out things that look like letters 
and that look like print ads with products that you and I don't care about and to not sit here and talk to Ryan and myself. We were talking about exercise before we started. So right. I happen to use Nike sneakers. I'm still in shock that Nike never reaches out to me, even with an ugly static message like they would do. But a better one that says, hey, Eric, hard to believe it's been six months since you bought your Nike blah, blah, blah running shoes, whatever the model is. If you're an athlete, paren, not just doing this for fashion, it's great to get a new pair of sneakers every six months to ensure that you don't damage your feet and your legs and, and all that other good stuff. Um, and I would press the button right there and spend another 100 or 120 bucks and buy them. But they don't, they don't remind me. As I use Kiehl's soap on my face and stuff. They never say, hey, it's three months later. You should be out by now. Um, so I usually run out or I go, oh, my God, I've had these sneakers for a year. I better go get a new pair. So I just thought there was so much low-hanging fruit. And it was so going to be so easy to a degree to communicate and make Ryan or Eric feel good and special and then in turn get us to spend so much more money with that brand and not talk to vegetarians about steaks. Um, and there's, and what I learned was there was so much legal, you know, obtainable, um, data, whether we like it or not. And I don't really like it that these data companies know 250 or 2,500 things about all of us, but they do and brands buy that data, but they just don't do anything with it. So we're teaching them how to do something with it. And if you're married with young kids, the ad should say thinking about dinner for you and your family this Saturday, if it's McDonald's and show a smiling family. But if you're my 23 year old son who lives with two buddies, that's going to be a turnoff if you show you know, him and, the, and the, the, the woman that he hopes is going to be his girlfriend and, and, and two little you know, kids because that's not in his wheelhouse or relevant to him at all. Yeah. Well, way to persevere through that. So, so let me ask you this: Now that you're at at the five million mark, what, what's the single biggest challenge that you have now at this stage of your business? Um, affording more engineers. More engineers, huh? It's all about more engineers. Yeah, it's all about more engineers. So you build something, and what you don't realize, especially if you're like me and came out of a different career. So I'm not a product guy who did tech for the last 20 years, but I had a different role. Um, it's about maintaining the platforms that you've built and we integrate with everyone. So we integrate with Facebook and Google and this and that and the other and Snapchat and Twitter, and they change what they do every week or two. So you can, mm. so you're sort of always chasing them to make sure that your integrations are up to speed. So it's about engineers, uh, to maintain and then about engineers to improve and reinvent and come up with a thing that makes you even better. So cash buys you engineers, engineers buy you engineers. updates. Cash buys you engineers. Okay. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I know you have some amazing clients. You know, I saw, I think I saw BMW, Disney was on there, correct? As yeah. Well. Yeah. And um, a lot of these, just to be completely, you know, transparent here, what we've what started to happen is over the last you know six years as people started to play with us or, or or collaborate and partner there was a lot of testing, so people would do it for a month or two or three and go okay I've learned a bit you know and yes it worked really well but boy that was a lot more work 
you know, um, than, than having my ad agency make one ad and my media agency buying this. So they sort of went and put their head back in the sand. Now what's happening is they're coming back and now they're becoming monthly, regular, recurring. And that's the difference between, you know, a business and a non-business, as you know. How do you get paid 12 months a year versus one, two, or three times, and then they go away for three or four years? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so let's take it one step further. Like, <clears throat> what's the exact... You know, like what's the number one outcome that your solution delivers for well, clients? Well, here's what we do. And I don't want to sound mean-spirited. So we sort of won't work for a brand unless we can go in and do a retroactive analysis. Mm -hmm. I compare that to pretend, Ryan, we know you work out a lot and all that. Pretend you hadn't gone to the gym since high right. school. And today you decided, I'm going to start working out with a trainer Monday, Wednesday, and Friday until I'm fit as a fiddle. So on session number one or two, we would say, how fast can you run? What's your body composition? How many push-ups, sit-ups? You know, you can do a half a pull-up. You can bench press 40 pounds because what we want to show you in three months is that you're running twice as fast, lifting twice. So what we do is we go in and do a retroactive analysis. The short answer to your question is, how do we get people to engage a lot more? So how do we get more people to hear about whatever that product is, stay a lot longer, and then transact and make them a lot more money. So it's about making a client a lot more money where we become an irrelevant cost. And while we do it concurrently, we try to bring down their costs. So we'll learn that it costs someone a dollar to get a customer, $40 to get a customer, $340 to get this customer because we go into their Facebook, their Google, and every one of those accounts. And we have a team of analysts who go in or else people would frequently give you fictitious data. And they'd say, it costs us a dollar to get a customer. And then you go and you say, well, we have to ask you a couple of questions because we've just looked at the last year and it looks like it costs $40. So when it's $40 and they oh yeah, that's right, it is 40. I was wrong about the dollar. And then you start doing work for them and getting it at $28, you're saving them 12 bucks a customer and getting them more customers. It's you know a giant win. And that's what we consider success is every day we report to them, we give them dashboards. Um, and then, you know, if there is an end of campaign, hopefully it keeps going. But usually things are in even when you're doing something, it's the big Christmas sale, it's the big January sale, whatever it might be. And so we're always doing what we call end of campaigns and showing okay. them how money we made them and how and, and how they're spending less money to make more money. So you look at it as like customer acquisition costs, cost per lead, all those factors, I presume. All of those of kind of things are primarily the business. Now, everything is, every campaign slightly different. So if we were introducing a new car and they weren't even ready to set up test drives, it might be that historically when they had a new car, people would click out of the ad in, in five seconds. So if we get people to spend 20 seconds, we've, we've increased their engagement for X. And that's a good one. That might be a KPI on that. If it then went to the next stage, clicking and signing up for a test drive, you know, when we did BMW, we got two and a half times more people to sign up. And then we got people to watch the commercial 4.3 times longer. So those are all, you know, good things. And they all typically turn into revenue for the client because most of us are probably going to go to a dealership, 
drive the car around the block three times and say, seems good enough. Sure. I'll buy it. I'll lease it, whatever it might be. Right. Excellent. That's, that's great feedback, Eric. So we're, we're getting close on time, but what I wanted to ask you is, you know, what would you say? Cause you have a, a really unique path to, to where you've gotten kind of, as I mentioned that prior. So one of the questions I always like to ask my guests are, you know, your ninja skill, right? Like, what do you think you're best in the world at or better than anybody else? Or I should even just say best for you. What's, what's like your number one skill in terms of business entrepreneurship growth that you have? And then like kind of what's like a three to five step framework you would leverage to, to execute it? Well, I actually wrote this down and put it on a card here, but I'm not going to pull it up. I'm just going to look in there. So I would say number one is knowing what the world might be interested in doing before everyone knows it. So I led the charge for streaming video. And when I sat down with every chairman of every um, cable, satellite, and internet company and gave them you know, my vision that we were all going to press buttons and watch something a la Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, what have you. They said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. No one will ever press a button to watch their programming. They'll stick to HBO or CBS or Nickelodeon at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Um, so it's coming up with an idea. It's uh, putting together a team and showing leadership to help direct that team how to sell that concept um, uh, through. Um, I would say that's primarily it. And then, and then what I've learned is how to systematize everything that one does so that you're not reinventing it every day. You're reinventing it to make it better. But in other words, if we write you a note pitching you, if you're the guy at Nike, you know, we write you a week and you don't respond a week later, you get email number two, a week later, email number three, a week later, email number four. So we have all these systems that create persistence because that's what it actually takes to get Ryan to show up from Nike and hear about the opportunity. Okay. So I love that. So innovation team and systems and systems is one of the biggest things I see entrepreneurs struggle with. So like to take it one step deeper on the systems level, you know, what's your mental framework or belief structure that you have to create systems and how do you create so many of them so fast that they take tasks that take months down to minutes? Well, we don't. So in other words, (laughs) we want to, but nothing happens the way you want it to, you know, um, Um, so what you do is we have a set of values and this isn't some kind of faith based, you know, um, kind of thing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, we have a meeting every week as I did when I was at Warner brothers. And I used to like to say the receptionist at Warner brothers, of course, at a company like ours, there's no such thing as a receptionist anymore, but in the old days you had a receptionist, you know, she knew what our top 10 goals and objectives were. So, you know, we're big in, 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 in communicating. So all you can really do is either come up with an idea yourself or just preach this concept that things have to be systematized and organized. And, and whether we invent it or whether all the geniuses that are out there invent it. So, I mean, we had a wonderful guy who worked for us who did that email number two, three, and four for four years for us. Got wow. paid a decent amount of money. And that's what he did. And I would say he did it rather well. But there were things that disappeared. We never followed up with Ryan. It just fell off the chart. And then for $15 a month, we found a piece of software that does it 
105% perfectly. So all of a sudden you go from paying somebody $60,000 a year to spending $15 a month to get a better tool. So you need to take all of these people who are younger and smarter or more technical than me and constantly remind them to look for these tools that can automate and systematize um, their business. And then if it turns out Ryan isn't good at that, um, either put Ryan in a different position or find someone to work with or for Ryan who is good at that. So mm -hmm. we have lots of things that weren't as systematized and there's only so many times I can ask Ryan. And then I went and I find someone who just graduated from project management school at uh, Berkeley. And she's, you know, she's young and hungry and she comes to work and she's making Ryan look fabulous now because now it's all systematized and anything you want to know is at the press of a button, which isn't only good for your business, but it's great for selling your business because there are a lot of companies, as you said, especially with founders and entrepreneurs, they go, can we see how you do it all? And the guy holds up a shoebox, you know, filled with loose paper. So to be able to show you how we track everything and how organized and competent gives that buyer um, a great, you know, uh, feeling of, of security that he's buying a buttoned up, you know, machine versus something that's filled, you know, that's Swiss cheese like. Oh, totally. So yeah. in, in a minute or less, where's the future of business going? The future of business is convincing more brands, more agencies, more strategic partners. We have a lot of them too, or a growing number um, and, uh, and ad platforms that one message doesn't do it. Um, that it should be compelling and entertaining and good message. So it's not something that looks like this anymore. Um, and just getting more and more of them um, to do this and then building the appropriate team to be handle, to be able to handle that quantity and to have, you know, a team of people figuring out the next uh, big thing. And then of course, one day potentially, you know, selling this, or going public or, or whatever people want to do to monetize it. Because one of the things that I'm, you know, and a lot of people say this and they're full of it, but you know, to me, there would be nothing better than seeing every member of my team get a reasonably nice fat check because we know how tough the world is today. So for people to be able to buy that car, put down that deposit on their house or their apartment or get married or send kids to school, college and all those things that are difficult and were probably a little easier for you and me back when it seemed like there were more jobs hiring and you could get on that track a little bit easier. So, um, you know, that's what the goal is and to continue to lead this team and to teach them what's right and what's wrong and how to behave and how not to get in trouble um, and, you know, and to be good, you know, individuals. Love that. Love that. Okay. So a couple of fast fire questions and then we're going to wrap up. So who's, who's your favorite founder that you're following right now or CEO? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I knew Steve Jobs and I knew him, you know, I, I, he, he invited me to come and visit him up in wherever the heck he was up That's there awesome. um, four times. And so I would have to say him. I mean, I don't know that we have any of the same qualities, but uh, we invited him to Warner Brothers when he got in a fight about Pixar 
um, with Disney and he was going to take away the rights from Disney to be able to do Pixar. So he went and did a tour of every studio and I spent an hour with him and he ended up liking me a lot and invited me up three or four additional times. And um, as a matter of fact, if he hadn't gotten sick, I'd probably be working for either Apple or Pixar because when I decided uh, to leave Warner, he was my first email um, that I received. Do you want to move up north and come and work for me? And his assistant set up a date. And he was, I had seen him four times in between, and he was the most organized guy. They pick you up, they drive you, they this, all that stuff. And all of a sudden, I got a phone call saying, um, Mr. Jobs has to reschedule. And I was like, oh. God, that's so unusual. Do you know the punchline yet? Yeah, he passed away, right? Yeah. So then, then all of a sudden, four weeks, they scheduled again and they postponed. And then all of a sudden, they made an announcement that he had pancreatic or whatever type of cancer. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm an Apple guy. I own a lot of Apple stock. Apple stock has gotten me through my entrepreneurial efforts here because the stock has gone up. So while I don't make, you know, uh, almost any money at this point in time for myself, um, I've, I've reaped, uh, uh, you know, lots of money there. But I think, uh, you know, he and then, and then, you know, and then his, his, his predecessor, they're doing a great job. They keep on reinventing and they do best in class, you know, products. Um, they're doing, you know, they're doing good things for the world concurrently, even though I'm in the personalization business, they're in the privacy business and I get it and I like it. Um, even if it conflicts with some of our goals and objectives. Wow. That's awesome. I didn't know you knew Steve Jobs. So that's, that's super cool. Um, and I would like, I could probably talk to you about that for another three hours, but I, we're about up on time. What last question is what's your favorite tool that, that you couldn't live without in your business? Well, I mean, my favorite tool, is I'm, you know, and, and, and now he'll ruin my life further. My favorite tool is actually our CTO who, you know, came <laughs> to us as a one-year college, like dropout as an intern. And he came to work for the engineers. And we had a lot of engineers in those days. And it wasn't long before this kid who had maybe never been out of his house before, um, you know, became the smartest guy on the team. So, I mean, he's my favorite tool because he's actually the equivalent of a dozen or two dozen um, people and he's brilliant and he's a problem solver. And of course it can't be all good. So he's a pain in the ass and, um, you know, and all of these other things, but he's the tool that lets us be best in class and continue to innovate and do things um, that competitors can't do and do it faster and in a more robust manner and, and, and so on. So he's, it's actually, you know, a person. And now I'm just trying to build up his team so that he can be more of the brain and less of the guy who's got to change the tires on every car. That's awesome. Yeah. And so where can people find you? Where can they learn more about AgReads? Um, let, let everybody know. So if they want yeah. to connect, they can reach out. Yeah, well, you know, and it's also interesting. I was brought up at Warner Brothers. The chairman was a guy named Steve Ross um, until he got, I think, the same pancreatic cancer, you know, that Steve Jobs had. And he passed away, too, which, of course, is an important lesson. You can have $7 billion and the day your day is up, you know, it doesn't matter how rich you are or not. Um, so and what I learned from him is, I, you know, I never really saw the bullpen, but I think he had six people who just sat around and responded to every single letter 
that he received. And I was brought up that you respond to everyone. So I get letters from, you know, anyone and everyone from things that are completely relevant to the most irrelevant things that have never looked at our site, trying to sell me things that have nothing to do with what we do, but I like to respond to everybody. So it's Eric, E-R-I-C at adgreets.com. You know, I don't know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, all those things. But if you write a note, whether it takes 24 or 36 hours, myself and or a member of my team, you know, we'll write quite often. It's thanks for your note, you know, uh, you know, wishing you best of luck, but this doesn't work for us. Or very often, you know, we talk and make friends and I hire young people. And, you know, some of my best people came to me and said, I'm at this school or that school and I'd like to learn this or learn that. And I'd like to come and work for free. And we say, well, I don't want you to work for free because the sandwich is $15, you know, so I don't want you to lose money between gas and or your lunch. So why don't we pay you you know, 15 bucks an hour and come and we'll check it out. And then some of them have become, you know, leaders and, you know, will end up as president of the company and hopefully will be, you know, ultimately successful. Yeah. So feel free to reach out. And, um, and we're, we're, you know, we're very leadership oriented and like to mentor and believe in good karma and all of that kind of stuff. The nicer we are, you know, the luckier we get. That's awesome, man. I love that. I really appreciate you being on the show. It was awesome hearing your your stories, your journey. And, you know, I'm real excited for you in the in the next chapter of AdGreets, where you guys are going. So thanks for being well, on, Eric. Pencil me in for next year. Let, we'll come back next year and tell yeah, you how we're doing it. We'll do a round two. All right, man. We'll see yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.